I'd like to invite you now to turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. This morning we will consider Philippians chapter uh, 2. We're going to look at verses 19 through uh, 24. I would like to begin the reading in verse 19 and, and go all the way through verse 30. This, the items in the next section, the section that deals with Epaphroditus, very much tied to what we're going to look at uh, this morning. So I'd like to read the entire uh, section up until the end of chapter 2. So Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse uh, 19. Beloved, before we hear God's word, if you would join your hearts together with me in prayer. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ that are kept in heaven for us and that are even in our possession right now as those who have been united to Christ by faith and by the power of your Spirit at work within us. We thank you, Father, that we are of those who rise up and bless your name. So we thank you for this great privilege to worship you in spirit and in truth, to hear from the the Holy Scriptures, to hear the good news of the gospel. We pray, Father, that as this good news goes out into the world, we pray that your work would be done in your people, that hearts would be converted, and that you would be glorified. Do this good work to the praise of your glory, for we ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. Beloved, this is the word of God. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. We just finished a large section in this letter. In that section, Paul spent some time telling the Philippians how they should live a life worthy of the gospel. And in that section, he put a particular emphasis on unity in the body, that the the members of the church would be unified. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and part of that is to be unified in our thinking and our acting. Before this, though, he had given his hearers, before that large section that we just finished, he had given his hearers a kind of missionary report. In chapter 1, verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He had also given them, and he told them how that was so, how the gospel was advanced by him being in prison. 
But he also given them a peek into his own personal well-being at the beginning of this letter. He said, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. He was convinced also about, of this. He says, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. And so he had given them a, a kind of missionary report. This is how the gospel is still being advanced. And this is how I am, Philippians. I'm content. I'm, I'm comfortable with the thought of dying, for dying is gain. But I know that I'll, I will remain with you. He had an idea. He had an inclination that he would survive this ordeal. And he would return to them for their progress and joy in the faith. And then he moves into the exhortation part where he tells them, Live as a citizen of heaven. Live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Work out your salvation. You can see the difference there. He begins to tell the church to do this and not do this. That's what we've been looking at for the last several weeks. Well, now he returns to his missionary report. Paul was convinced that he would return to Philippi in person. When he would return was another matter. He he also mentions that in, in verse 24, that he is hopeful to come to them soon. He knows he will return. He's not sure when, but he wants to return to them soon. He wants to be with them soon. But soon might also have meant a, a few months, several months maybe. So in the meantime, who would serve in a pastoral capacity for these Christians in the place of Paul? While he's in prison, waiting to return to them. Who would minister the gospel to them in that interim? Who would at least, or who would at least serve as a mediator of information between Paul, who was in prison, possibly in Rome, and the Christians in Philippi? Who would, who would serve him in all of that work? Whoever this would be, whoever this person would be, would be able to visit Paul physically, talk to him, and then return to the Philippians physically to give them an update on Paul. That person would be able to speak about Paul's well-being and about what was going on from a first-person perspective because he had been there. Who would do this? Who would, who would take part in this work? They could give first-hand knowledge of Paul's condition, whoever this would be. Well, in verse 25, we see that Paul sent his brother, he calls him his brother and fellow soldier, Epaphroditus. He sent Epaphroditus from where Paul was in chains back to Philippi. We'll look at that next week, the the sending of Epaphroditus. He sent him back to Philippi, most likely with this actual letter in his hand. And so it's quite possible that Epaphroditus is holding the letter to the Philippians in his hand when He goes back to Philippi. Verse 25, Paul says, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. And then verse 28, he says, I'm more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again. Now, chapter 4 tells us that Epaphroditus was the person who was originally sent from Philippi to Paul in chains. He's the one who brought Paul the gift from the Philippian church to the apostle. This is chapter 4. Paul says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. Epaphroditus was sent to, to Paul in prison, gave Paul the gifts. Now Paul is sending Epaphroditus back to the church. And so 
this is where we are. If Epaphroditus is coming back, or he has already come back to this church and had given them this letter. Now, it's clear in the context of the whole letter that Epaphroditus, in particular, was well-loved by this church. After all, he was the one chosen and willing to travel to Paul. He was the one who uh, was willing to go and bring these gifts, the financial gifts, to Paul. And we will see next week that he almost died doing that. And so they loved Epaphroditus. He was held in high regard in this church. We also see Paul somewhat described the nature of the relationship between Epaphroditus and the Philippians. This is verse 26. He says, For he has been longing for you all, and he has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Again, Paul expected that they would rejoice at seeing him again, which means there's a close relationship there. They are, they are intimate. They care for Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus cares for them. But once Epaphroditus shows up, the Philippians might have asked, where's Timothy? We want to see Timothy. They cared about Timothy too. Now maybe that wasn't, Paul doesn't tell us that exactly that this is why he's talking about Timothy and Epaphroditus here. But that may have been what was going on. Epaphroditus shows up. Where's Timothy? Now remember, this letter is from Paul and Timothy to the Philippians. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to the Christians who are in Philippi. Paul, Timothy, Timothy had joined. Who is Timothy then? Well, Timothy had joined Paul at the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. Not long after that, they were called to Macedonia. That is, Paul and Timothy, they were called to Macedonia, the region of where Philippi was. It was then that this church was planted, this church, the Philippian church. That is when the Philippian church was planted, the very church that Paul is writing to here. Timothy had joined Paul in his ministry, and after joining, Philippi, the church at Philippi was planted. After that, Paul and Silas were imprisoned. And then later on, Paul was starting to feel the heat from Jews who had followed him from Thessalonica to Berea. They were persecuting him in Thessalonica. He goes to Berea, and they follow him there, and they continue. He feels that heat coming at him, and he tells, he, we are told in the book of Acts that they were stirring up the crowds. And so Paul had to leave Berea, and we are told in the book of Acts that Timothy and Silas remained there. They remained in Berea to minister to the gospel. And then later, Timothy and Silas rejoined Paul in Corinth. Still later, Paul is in Ephesus. You can, if you're not tracking this morning, you can read all of this in the book of Acts. I invite you to do that. But still later, Paul is in Ephesus, and this is from Acts chapter 19, having... Uh, Having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Of course, he's talking about Paul. But Paul is in Ephesus. He was sent into Macedonia, or he was in Ephesus, and he sent into Macedonia, the region of Philippi, Timothy and Erastus to continue to minister the gospel. Acts ends, the book of Acts ends with Paul in prison. And so later, it is likely that during a second imprisonment that he wrote these letters, these letters like Philippians, from prison. He wrote these letters uh, from prison to the likes of uh, the church at Philippi and Timothy as well. 
And then finally, he wrote the last letter from, that we have from Paul, that, the last letter that was written from the Apostle Paul before he died, before he was executed for his faith. The very last letter that he wrote that we have is to Timothy, 2 Timothy. That's what 2 Timothy is. It's Paul's departing words before he dies for the sake of the gospel. He wrote a letter to Timothy. Timothy, and so Timothy had been with Paul in the ministry from the very beginning. He'd been with Paul in the ministry of the gospel from the very beginning of this church's existence, from the Philippians' existence. Timothy had made significant ministerial contributions in Philippi on separate occasions. He was sent there by Paul to minister to the gospel, minister the gospel to this church, to pastor them. And we know from this letter he had just traveled from Philippi to, uh, to Paul, that he's with Paul. Epaphroditus did the same thing. And so when Paul says in verse 22, you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. When we see those words, we should be mindful of all, everything that I've just given you, all, all that information from the book of Acts. He served with Paul in the gospel, and pretty much whatever Paul asked him to do, he did. He was sent back to Philippi, called to stay at Berea, called to stay and minister in Ephesus. Whatever Paul needed him to do, that is what he did. So when he talks about Timothy being his spiritual son, we get an idea from the rest of Scripture of what he was talking about. Timothy, like a good son, a good blood-born son, imitated his spiritual father, Paul in the gospel ministry. He was no stranger to helping Paul while the apostle was either in chains or being personally hunted down by his opponents. Timothy was right there doing what he was asked to do. And here he is again helping Paul while he is in chains. He's with him. And so there's no doubt that Timothy was a good pastor. He was self-sacrificing. He was obedient. He was a servant of Christ, a slave of Christ, as Paul refers to him and Timothy at the beginning. We were servants of Christ. He was faithful. He was well-loved by the people to whom he ministered. It is very clear here and in other places. This is probably why Paul says two times in this section, I hope to send Timothy to you. They love Timothy. They want to see him. I hope to send him to you. Verse 19, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon. And then verse 23, I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And so this is the main point of these verses, that Paul is telling the Philippians that he hoped to send Pastor Timothy to them soon. He wants Timothy to be with them. It just, he just doesn't know when yet. Now, what would have been even better was if, in addition, what would have been even better than sending Epaphroditus and sending Timothy was that if Paul himself could come in person. So verse 24, he says, I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. And so that way, if that were to happen, Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, and all of the rest of the Philippians would be together again. They would be together and they could rejoice together and delight in one another's fellowship once again. That's the goal. I want to send Timothy to you 
And even more than that, I want to come myself. Hopefully, I will come too. So we can all be together once again for a time. Now, we are given some insight into the intensity here of Paul's suffering. He says, I hope to send Timothy just as soon as I see how it will go with me. Now, Paul was convinced that he would be released. We just saw that. He says, I'm certain that I will remain for your progress and joy in the faith. And he he talks about returning to them soon. I hope to come to you soon. But here he says, I need to see how it will go with me first. He was certain he would see the Philippians again. But when? He didn't know. Three months, four to five months maybe, maybe longer. With this said, though, we do know that death by execution, that that sentence still hovered in the air. It was still there as a slight possibility. How do we know this? Because Paul speaks like this. He says, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. If I am to live, that means fruitful labor for me, meaning there's a possibility I might not live. But if I do live, it's fruitful labor for me. And so until he gets that official judgment from the authorities that he would not be executed, he doesn't know. He doesn't know when he will return. He doesn't know when he will be released. And in the meantime, he doesn't want to be alone. And so he's holding on to Timothy. Who does he choose to stay with him during this very difficult time? Timothy. This faithful pastor who had been with him from the beginning and had been serving him faithfully from the beginning. Paul says, I have no one like him. Now, this is a good lesson for us, friends. We have talked a little bit about, uh, up until this point, about rejoicing and joy in this series. And this is so because joy and rejoicing are mentioned many times in this letter. We're commanded even to be joyful, to rejoice in the Lord. And so in the power of the Spirit of Christ, we can have joy and we can rejoice in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of very difficult circumstances. We can know true joy even as we feel pain. We can have, we can have joy-filled tears, as it were, in the power of the Spirit. But this does not deny the need that we as Christians have for help and support from others when we are going through our trials. Just having someone present with us in our pain is often all that we need. We should all be ready to offer this to others as the need arises. This is what Timothy was doing. Paul didn't want to let him go. He wants to send Timothy back. He wants them to see Timothy. But Paul's a human being. He's not a superhuman, though we might often think of him in that way. He's in chains with the the sentence of execution still in the background. He wants Timothy there. He wants to wait to see how this will really turn out officially before he lets Timothy go. And friends, again, we, we should be like Timothy. We should be ready to be this person for those around us if that need is there. I don't think Paul wanted Timothy to stay with him just so that Timothy could get Paul a cup of coffee when he wanted. There was much more to their relationship than this. If we take into account all that he says here, if we take into account the rest of Scripture, in fact, he says he's more like a son to me. Like a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. I need him here. 
for a little while longer. Lastly, what makes a pastor like Timothy have proven worth, as Paul says here? He says, you know his proven worth. What grants Timothy or any pastor that moniker? Someone who has proven worth, someone who's known for that in the church. Well, we see two things stand out here, and really they're organically connected. They're virtually the same. Verse 21, Paul is speaking of other leaders besides Timothy, but he shows us what pastors should be about and really what all of us should be about. But he's talking about leaders here, church leaders. Verse 21, he says, they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Timothy has proven worth because he sought after the interests of of Jesus Christ. He proved that over and over and over again. He did not seek his own interest. He served the interests of Christ. He put his own interest to bed and he served the interests of Christ. That's what made Timothy worthy, special. You know his proven worth. You've seen it. And what are the interests of Jesus Christ? What does that look like? Well, we see this in verse 20. For I have no one like him, I have no one like Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. That's what that is. To seek the interests of Christ is in part, if not equated to, being genuinely concerned about the welfare of the members of the church, Christ's body being passionately concerned about the welfare of the sheep in their care. That's Timothy. That's Paul. And Paul says, I don't have many like him. I have no one like him. Paul mentions others besides Timothy. There's others, there are other leaders in the church. There's other pastors like, uh, he says, I don't have anyone like Timothy, meaning there's other people with the office that Timothy has but they don't serve like him. They don't have the attitude like him. They seek their own interests. They are driven by selfish ambition. Now, we have looked at this in chapter 1. Paul was talking about the preaching of the gospel. He had said that he rejoiced that the gospel was being preached, but some of those preachers were seeking their own interests. They, the reason they were preaching the gospel was out of selfish ambition. They wanted to advance their own place in the church while Paul's in chains. Now, Paul says, I'm willing to look past that because the gospel's preached. At least they're not messing up the gospel, but, it, but still, they're being selfish. They're after their own selfish ambition. They're not looking after the interests of Christ, and they don't have the concern for the welfare of the church. You can see the difference. Timothy Timothy's is not like them. Now, friends, this happens today still in ministerial circles. Pastors, church leaders become, can become too focused on their own interests, their own agendas. You might think about parachurch ministries that people are involved in, in, in addition to serving the church, podcasts. Some even name their websites after themselves, so johnsmithministries.com. Is that not a way to advance your own name? I think it is. Now, all of these things are not bad in and of themselves. God, of course, still uses these people to do his work. And none of us are perfect. 
And again, Paul said he rejoiced. Christ is proclaimed. I'm, I'm rejoicing. The gospel's going out. These men, they're out for different reasons. They're doing these things for different reasons, but at least the gospel is going out. I can rejoice in that. God is doing his work, and he does do, still do his work uh, through people like this. But within all of this, though, these things aren't in and of themselves necessarily altogether bad. But within all of this, though, these men can easily lose sight of what's most important in the eyes of Christ. And what is most important in the eyes of Christ is the immediate needs of the sheep in their care. It is a focus on a local ministry, first and foremost. That was Timothy. That was Paul. They weren't after their own, seeking their own interests. They weren't operating out of selfish ambition. Now, this is quite sad. This is a quite sad commentary from Paul. He says, they all seek their own interests. He's talking about church leaders. I don't have anyone like him. It's a commentary on the leadership of the church at the time. Not false teachers. Not unbelievers. Christians. I don't have anyone like him. Now, of course, again, God, it doesn't mean that God doesn't use these men and advance the kingdom. He does. We all make mistakes. We all fall into one trap or another. And God still advances the kingdom. But what this does mean is that Timothy was different. He had a genuine concern about the welfare of the church. In other words, Paul was saying to the Philippians, Timothy will pastor you. He will shepherd you. Timothy will tell you things that maybe you may not want to hear. That's how Paul ministered the gospel. I have no one like him. He's genuinely concerned about your welfare. And also, guess who is physically present with Paul during his crisis? Timothy. Not a surprise there. Now, friends, this is a good lesson for current pastors, for current church leaders, for would-be pastors. It's also a good lesson for all of us, all of us, that we would all not seek our own interests, but that we would have a genuine concern for the welfare of others. This is what Jesus and his Father are like. This is their heart. This is the heart of God. God had a genuine concern for our welfare, and so he sent his son to die for us. Jesus had a genuine concern for our needs when he went to the cross. And he is now with the Father, but he is coming again. And we see this promise in Revelation with similar, similar language. Paul is telling the church, I hope to send Timothy to you soon. I want to come as well. We all want to be together. We hope to be together soon. And and. That is what we're looking for, to be together soon with Jesus when all of these difficulties, this selfish ambition that arises within each one of us, when all of that's forever behind us. It won't be in this age. We'll always deal with this. It'll always crop up. We always have to be aware of this. But that's what we look forward to, Christ coming again and completely eradicating all of that. All temptations to division, to grumbling, arguing, disputing, being selfish, being self, overly self-concerned, all that will be permanent history when Jesus comes again.
Paul, and Paul was looking to, for something similar here. He's looking for all of them to be together. Me, he says, me, Timothy, Epaphroditus, all of us, I'm looking for that. Jesus says something similar here at the end of Revelation. He says, behold, I'm coming soon. Friends, it's then when Jesus comes that our joy will be complete. It will be complete. We have that to look forward to. We do. But until that day comes, friends, let us foster that joy and the joy that we have now, which is that joy that partly we have now. Let us foster this joy now by having a genuine concern for one another's needs. To Christ be all praise and glory now and forevermore. Let's pray together, friends.